Well, as Mike said, my name is Bill Taylor, and my wife Diane and I have been serving Jesus here at High Point Church and other places in a variety of ways. Um, one thing I did not say in the first service was that our <clears throat> daughter is over there, Cassiana. And, and our older son is down there, who will be embarrassed later in our talk. <laughs> in our early years, before High Point, God gave us everything we needed for life and godliness, right in the middle of our presuppositions, perplexities, and pain. But we did not have any clue what God was doing then. We'd like to share five stories from our testimonies that will encourage you as you overcome obstacles in your lives, as you walk on with Jesus into your future, especially if you're young enough to be our grandchildren. Now, to help you decide if you're that young or we are that old, in 1969, our Apollo astronauts did not land inside a history book. They unknowingly celebrated my 23rd birthday, July 20th, by landing on the moon, or in Idaho, depending on your perspective. <laughs> we would love for you to be in Micah A for a cake and punch drop in for a while, 50 years plus two days of marriage reception this afternoon at 12.30 to 2.30. But now the five stories, starting with Diane's conversion to Christ. Bill and I grew up in the Bible Belt in a very small town in South Hill, Virginia. Nearly everyone we knew appeared to be Christian, that is, they went to church. My childhood was a little bit like Tom Sawyer. When we were not in school, we were out playing games. My favorite was dodgeball and kick the can. I also loved eating figs and pecans right off the trees. In high school, I enjoyed being in the band and marching in parades. I played the cymbals and the glockenspiel, which was like a xylophone on a stick. When I went off to college, I left my sheltered childhood, only to find out the world was very different than what I grew up in. I guess this was the real world. My college sweetmates laughed at me because I went to college to study. They went to party. <laughs> My sweetmate was sleeping with her boyfriend. I was confused. Is this the way we're to live? Is this what life is about? Stop the world. I want to get off. Why am I here? I asked the advisors on, at college, what is the meaning of life? They had no satisfying answers. I knew there was a God, and he had a son, Jesus, who died for our sins, but I really oh, didn't know him. I only knew of him. I had read the Bible as a child because that's what you're supposed to do, and I didn't really understand lots of it. For example, when I read in Philippians, Three, it says, beware of the dogs. Well, I had a Irish setter, Belle, that I loved very much, and she was a great companion to me. But later, I realized <clears throat> that beware of the dogs 
was a veiled reference to human misbehavior. When I went home for Thanksgiving, in desperation, I knelt by my bed and I said, God, why am I here? If you can help me, please do. A gentle sense of purpose and meaning calmed my desperation. In my mind, God told me that he was the meaning of life. When I went back to school, things were different. The church services at the classes in Harrisonburg spoke to my heart. As I read the Bible, it began to make sense to me in a new way. My life had changed. You might say a lost sheep had been found. My conversion was different. On the one hand, I was a very successful young churchgoer. I had earned 12 perfect attendance pins for Sunday school before I left for college. On the other hand, I was running away from tension at home caused by depression, made worse by three failed back operations on my father and his subsequent use and overuse of sleeping pills. As the diplomats would say, my mother and he had many frank discussions about that. What would be my refuge and salvation? I had asked Jesus into my life and Methodist Youth Fellowship, and I had begun to read the Bible. I sailed through Genesis and Exodus, and then I crashed and burned in the animal sacrifice ashes in Leviticus. <clears throat> With no one to guide me, I put my Bible down the first time. Where else was I finding refuge and escape? By the time I finished seventh grade, I had read every book in that school's library. I was a very proficient reader, or the library was very small. <laughs> uh, my delight in books eventually narrowed down to mathematics and minor in physics. Unlike Diane, I do not remember the day, or in her case, the night, of my conversion. I thought I'd become a Christian in high school, but running away from tension at home was the greater reality. I took six semester hours of Old Testament and New Testament as a freshman, got my A's in both classes, and put the Bible down again the second time. But, unknown to me, Jesus had already begun a two-pronged approach using Duke as his agent to draw me to himself. Great music and a great roommate. First, the great music. I tried out for men's freshman course, hoping I might move up to the glee club in year two and finally to the chapel choir my senior year. To my delight and amazement, after my audition, the music director put me both in the men's glee club and the chapel choir just right off the bat. So what, you might ask, did Jesus have to do with that? The glee club sang mostly classical, always glorious Christian music, as did the chapel choir. But the chapel choir also sang one other thing that was really good. Every Christmas and one Easter, we sang an oratorio by George Frederick Handel. I had never heard it. I had never heard of it before we started to sing it or practice it. Messiah. Like the good fisherman that he is, Jesus was drawing me in with glorious music 
even as I was wearing myself out with books and books and books before he finally reeled me in. So by my junior year, I had climbed back to the top academically, got straight A's, therefore got a full ride scholarship for the year. But I was growing empty and hollow on the inside as mathematics got more and more um, abstract as you went up into the stratosphere. So second, the other prong of Jesus' approach, a great roommate. Duke had assigned me a freshman roommate based on common characteristics, Greg Donovan. Greg was also from Virginia. He was also a Methodist. He was also a high school valedictorian. And he also was a math major. But unknown to Duke, he also had never lost an argument. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> we roomed together for four years. Now both you in the first service thought that meant I was making a point that I was going to out-argue him. I'd never thought about that. I just, yet we lived for four years. Um, though we did both get very good at fine points. <clears throat> we talked about any and everything, sometimes heatedly. Now Greg had become a believer in Jesus about a year before we met. He soon concluded that I was not actually a Christian, though I thought I was. Once he even said, I'm not trying to convert you. I'm just trying to get the devil out of you. <laughs> uh, years later, he was horrified when I reminded him of that. Uh, <clears throat> now, Greg did not mean the Duke Blue Devil mascot. As my friends who enjoy sports with me know, I am a Badger fan, but underneath beats a dark blue heart. What Greg meant was the real devil. Satan, the enemy of our souls, who hates humanity and wishes our destruction and will do anything, whether sweet or sour, to turn us away from our Creator and Savior. <clears throat> In the middle of all my mathematical abstractions, my slow-boiling, why am I here, crisis finally bubbled over. And at Greg's encouragement, I began to read my Bible again, this time with the New Testament in general and the Gospels in particular as the areas of emphasis. This third time, the Bible came alive. <clears throat> it was tasty. <clears throat> oh, ta <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. King James English. The invitation is for everyone, whether you're 18, 28, 78. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is everyone who trusts in him. Now back to me in 1966. The Bible, of course, did not come alive. It's always been alive, but I did. The Holy Spirit, using the gospel content in Messiah, and Greg's faithful prayers and bold witness brought my high school prayer to fruition and started me onto a daily walk with Jesus for the last 52 years. <clears throat> now, I had absorbed the idea in school that academics would be the highest good in my life. I was a classic case of a creature turned away from his creator. 
And remember, I just said the devil wants to turn us away using either sweet or sour methods. This is a revelation to many of you. Mathematics was sweet. <clears throat> but I had all those perfect attendance pins, but I was turned away from my Creator. You might say I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, called me to himself. On the negative side, he said, Bill, you shall have no other gods before me, not even mathematics. And on the positive side, he said, through the Gospels, Come to me, Bill, for you are weary and heavy laden, or heavy loaded down. I will give you rest. And so it was, for both of us, the same, yet different. When God drew Diane to himself, he spoke into her desperation, <clears throat> giving her comfort and direction. When God drew me to himself, he spoke into my emptiness, using great music, speaking of the Messiah, and using Greg's boldness, just trying to get the devil out of you, in the process. Are you desperate? Are you empty? Is school or work squeezing the life out of you? The answer is the same for all, yet specific for each person. He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the spiritually dead receive. In my case, the key element was my asking God for help when I wasn't even sure he could help me. In Bill's case, the key element was reading the Bible faithfully rather than any and everything else. Whether you pray like I did in desperation or read the, God's word like Bill did when he was empty or respond in some other way, God will take you up into his story on earth in a very specific way to you. It is no secret. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As in our conversions, Jesus continued to speak into our lives to challenge and bless us, even when we were not listening or looking, at least not in the right places. You might say, two years after I graduated, he sent us a young prophet, my old college roommate, Greg. But let's step back a few years to high school. Diane was good-looking, athletic, and smart, and she still is. We were in the same Sunday school class for just one year. She was a vivacious senior, and I was a shy sophomore. I admired her from afar. We did, however, have a few nice encounters over the next years, even sharing a math joke or two. <coughs> there are such things. For my junior year, Duke scheduled a football game before school started. So I gathered up my carriage and invited her to go with me to the game. As Bill and I began to date, a mutual love for math was the initial factor, but the deeper and lasting one was a growing love for Jesus, the scripture, and the great hymns of the faith. When Bill and I would date, we would sing a hymn that we had memorized together, memorized from the last time we dated. We would both memorize a hymn. Uh, we'd pick one out every other time uh, to memorize. 
Bill suggested we could be a team for the Lord, somewhat like Paul and Timothy. I was thrilled, snowed. Bill finished school in 1968. Two weeks later, we got married. A week later, we moved here. We were living here. Bill started grad school at UW, and I started teaching high school math in Oregon. We joined the Methodist Church, and we enjoyed visiting delightful places in Wisconsin. But within a year, we had lost our delight in each other. Bill had fits of depression and anger. I had never been around a person like that. Why, Bill slammed doors, and he refused to talk to me. I prayed, but that did not change him. I knew Jesus was the answer, but what did that look like? I decided if we became missionaries, then that would change Bill. <laughs> or at least I hope so. You know, it's so easy to take things into your own hands when God's not answering your prayer soon enough or in the way you want him to. I pushed Bill into applying to become a Methodist Church missionary. We were accepted to teach math in a Methodist boarding school in the mountains of North India. <clears throat> we had asked Greg to recommend us, but he would not do it. And then he came up to tell us why. He encouraged us to seek the Lord through the scriptures, through prayer and worship, and not through some great thing over there, hoping that some great thing over there would produce godliness. He taught us three specific lessons that helped us greatly to become who we are now. The first lesson, Jesus is Lord of all. We needed back then to be faithful disciples where he wanted us to be. Today, each of you needs to be, let Jesus decide where he wants you to go, what he wants you to do. Ask him to show you. The second lesson, Greg encouraged us to live, as it were, in Jesus' word, just as John chapter 8 tells us. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We learned to ask God for wisdom, for deliverance from sin and shortcoming, and to expect he would answer. One critical fact in all of life is that God is a person who wants to be active in our lives, both back then for us and now for you. The third lesson, Greg told us that God gives us the Holy Spirit when we become believers in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. It is not just us on our own. That is good news. The Holy Spirit will remind us of Jesus' word, activate our conscience, influence our motives, help us want to obey, and fuel our worship, as Ephesians 5 points to. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord.
Three years later, in 1973, I asked Greg to baptize me. I prayed that day on Lake Mendota's Picnic Point Beach that the Lord would deliver me from my depression and resident anger. God did set me free from my depression. It was a pray and you are different situation. Praise the Lord. But not so with my anger. That has been like decades of chipping ice, chunk by chunk off an iceberg. Progress, yes, but still more chipping off to do on chunks of sarcasm and rage. Are there people in your life for whom you could be a Greg? Imagine what God could do in a life that is fully devoted to him. And then dare to be God's prophet, to urge that someone to dig into God's word, to worship in truth, to give Jesus control as fully as possible. Diane's life, my life, and our life together were changed immediately and over time by Greg's boldness. Dare to be a Greg for a roommate, a student, or a friend. You could be a vital part of God's providing everything she or he needs for a life of godliness and blessing. Or, if the shoe is on the other foot, dare to listen to and heed that Greg in your life who will not let you be satisfied with a subpar life with Jesus or a sub-sub-subpar life without him. After Greg's visit, our walk with the Lord and with each other grew deeper and stronger. But that does not mean everything was peaches and cream. Pain and frustration come to most people. Emotional pain was in Bill's life from age 10. Physical pain in my life since my teen years. See what God taught us during a particularly long and hard time after we were married. When Bill and I got married, we wanted children. After a year, we decided to start a family. We found out, however, that it's not automatic that you will have children once you start trying. Our friends were getting pregnant and excitedly telling us. I would rejoice with them on the outside, but inside I was crying. God, why not me? It was very hard. I longed to have children. Years went by without children. The doctor said I had endometriosis, a painful disease that prevents conception. I had an operation to try to get rid of it, but still no children. Some friends were getting pregnant. I would rejoice with them, but inside I was frustrated and jealous. A friend who knew of my longing for children asked a traveling preacher, what should I do? He told her to tell me, claim the promises, have faith as a mustard seed, and claim that you will be pregnant in two months. Well, I jumped at this solution. <laughs> I told my family and friends I would be pregnant in two months. I had faith as a mustard seed, but two months later, when it did not happen, I was numb. 
I was terribly embarrassed. What had I done wrong? I had not asked my husband and friends what they thought. I had not even asked God what he thought about this. Instead, I was presumptuous and trying to manipulate God into giving me a child. Later, my mentor helped me to focus not on me and my wants, but on God and his glory. In Exodus, Moses asked God to show me your glory. I began to ask God to show me your glory, and I started looking for it. I have seen God's glory, especially in Jesus' life. That has changed me. That can change you. I still longed for children and prayed for children. Then one day, God spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but clearly in my mind. He said, I will satisfy you. I was so excited. I could hardly wait until Bill came home so I could tell him. As soon as he walked through the door, I said, Bill, God spoke to me. He said, I will satisfy you. So I asked, what does that mean? <laughs> we pondered that question for a long, long time. What could it mean? That I could conceive? Or that God could give us a ministry that would fulfill my longing for children? Or he could take the longing away? Or that we could adopt? I was different after that. When friends asked, told me they were pregnant, I could rejoice with them without any, well, God, why not me? God was changing me. After eight more years of marriage, we adopted a six-week-old baby boy. I was a mom. Soon Samuel, the one that's here, turns two years old and needs a sibling or two. We look for more adoption possibilities, but none show up. The agency waiting lists were all full, or the agencies only wanted to put children in families with lots of money. Then we saw an article about a new agency in Colombia, South America. Their requirement, that we be a practicing Christian home. Yes! <laughs> the next step was to send in a recommendation from our pastor. Uh-oh. We were leading three Bible studies a week in Madison, and we had two dozen very close Christian friends in Northern Virginia who we considered uh, our home church, you might say, but no official pastor at that moment. For those of you who are keeping score, we had started off with the Methodist Church here, but we had left that, participated faithfully in the campus church for quite a while, and then left that, and then soon we'd be in a Reformed church, but for that little interval of time, we didn't have an actual official pastor. And then late in 1985, we found another church on the west side of town that had really good preaching, 
really good singing and young families. It was the perfect church. It was Middleton Baptist, which became High Point Church in 1981. Uh, now, back to the uh-oh moment in 1981. Um, <clears throat> Diane greeted me when I came to the door and said, they want us to fill out a, a doctrinal statement just to understand where we are. Would you do it tonight? Okay. Um, so part of, the, of what I just wrote was what Samuel and Diane were doing as I was writing. So picture this. There will be a quiz immediately afterward. Diane is on her hands and knees over top of Samuel like this. And then Samuel says, Father in heaven, spit me out. <laughs> Diane leans backward. Samuel jumps up, runs down the hall, says, repent. God is good. Now, here's the quiz. What Bible story was that? Somebody said Jonah. Samuel was Jonah. That was Jonah and the great fish. Um, <laughs> from a two-year-old's point of view. Um, <clears throat> we were accepted. The uh, adoption lady called and said she had tears in her eyes when she was reading that, um, which is very nice. So we found, decided, or we thought, we would now adopt one healthy infant from Colombia. But then Colombia turned into Brazil, one turned into two, infant turned into older, and healthy turned into not so much. Would you consider a sibling group? A girl, about two and a half, and a younger brother, both with health issues. And by the way, they are black. Decision time. Do you believe what you believe? We had sung for decades. Join hands then, brothers of the faith, whatever your faith, whatever your race may be. Who serves my father as a son is surely kin to me. <clears throat> Join hands then, brothers and sisters of the faith, whatever your race may be. Who serves my father as a son or daughter is surely kin to me. Where had we learned that? Growing up in our racially segregated hometown Methodist church. South Hill was 50% white, 50% black. Therefore, back then, the schools and the churches were either all black or all white. Never the twain did meet once we children grew old enough to see the social structure. A dozen of our friends thought adopting two more was a great idea. Go for it. Another dozen thought it was terrible, largely because of the strangeness back then of cross-racial adoption. And how would we raise children to be black? <laughs> we waffled back and forth, forth and back. We were like President Truman after World War II. The U.S. economy needed to return to peacetime. His economic advisor would say, on the one hand, you should do this. But on the other hand, you should do that. President Truman wanted above all else a one-handed economic advisor. We needed a one-handed adoption advisor. One day as I was shoveling snow, the Holy Spirit whispered, 
not an audible voice, but in my mind, this word, it will be all right. Adopt them. That word, it will be all right, has included far more difficulty and delight than we had imagined. But it has been all right. What did we learn? It took years for me to see some of what God was doing. He gives meaning to our lives in many ways, not just what we imagine. I do not need, and you do not need, everything you think you do. Back then, I did not need to conceive and give birth. The Lord satisfied me, my desire to be a mom in a different way. What a blessing it has been to have three children to love and enjoy. What Bill and I needed then is Jesus as Lord in the practical as well as spiritual matters of our life. Whatever your lot today, God can satisfy you. What Jesus wants, uh, what did Jesus want of us then and what does he want of you now? He tells us in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let him put the desires he wants for you in your heart. Mm -hmm. He knows what is best for you. He also knows what is best for all of us. And High Point Church becomes a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational fellowship. When people come in the door who do not look like me, tall, blonde, blue-eyed, <laughs> handsome, Norwegian, I am none of that except tall, <laughs> but who served my father as his... <laughs> but who served my father as his child, then they are surely kin to me and to you without their having to shed their ethnicity, age, or preferred worship style at the door. After a year of getting rid of South American parasites, things seemed to be going smoothly for a family of five. But health issues can pop up anytime, and they did. I want to share how the Lord helped us so you can have confidence that God wants to help you also. God was continuing to change me. I was not taking things into my hand, own hands quite as much. I was setting my mind on the Spirit and delighting myself in the Lord who had blessed us with children, a house, gardens, and fruit trees. I was so grateful. I said, if God doesn't bless me anymore, I have enough to praise Him for for the rest of my life. Then I found out I had melanoma, the skin cancer that can kill you. Stage four out of five. I immediately cried out, God, hold my hand and walk with me through this. Teach me all the lessons you want me to learn. My theme song became, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. 
Then Satan attacked me in my mind with lots of lies. He reminded me that I had said, if God doesn't bless me anymore, I have enough to praise him for for the rest of my life. Satan said, you are going to die. So what can you praise him for now? I was speechless. I could not answer. Our children were going to lose their mom again. We have an enemy who seeks to confuse us, to dismay us, and to condemn us. Finally, I remembered. I have eternal life with Jesus, and that is enough to praise him for, for the rest of my life. These attacks stopped. As doc the, the doctor said I had an 80% chance of dying if the cancer had already spread. I grieved at the thought of dying and leaving Bill with two young three young children, ages five, five, and four years old. My pride said, God needed me to raise these children. Jesus helped me to see that he loved our children more than I did. That if I died, he could have them cling to him in a very special way, or he could have Bill remarry, and that she, she could be a good mom even better than I was. As Diane was working through her hopes and... Pardon? Oh, excuse me. Okay, now we both made a mistake. As Diane was working through her hopes and fears, I could hardly contemplate her death. It was too terrible. Feelings of helplessness flooded over me and settled into me. But I could ask good questions such as, are you ever wrong when the skin surgeon said it was melanoma? Yes, I can be wrong, but this is bad. We had to decide between the drastic surgery that Dr. Weiner suggested versus the far less invasive procedure that could have been done. We chose the drastic surgery. God sustained me as I continued reading in the Word daily, in particular in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I lived, I could serve Jesus here. If I died, I would be with him in heaven, free from sorrow and free from pain. So I asked God whether I was going to live or die because I wanted to know which way to make plans. God said, either way, you are the winner. The word, that word has carried me through a lot of hard times. I look back at my cancer as a big blessing. Boy, it drove me much closer to God. Adversity reminds us that life is short. Adversity teaches us to live wisely. And adversity refines our character. God never said that our being faithful 
by being faithful, we would avoid trouble and suffering. That's a good thing to remember. Rather, God said, He loves us. He will be with us. He will never forsake us. God is the King. What kept us on the narrow path that leads to life? Listening to and obeying God's word. John 8, 31, 32, it's very special to me. If you abide in my word, then you'll truly be disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is just what I wanted. I wanted to be his disciple, not just a churchgoer. I wanted to know truth. It does exist. And I wanted to be free, free from sin, free to walk with Jesus for his purposes. Abide in Jesus' word means to read it and obey it. I have been faithful in my quiet time over the years, reading through the whole Bible most years. Prayer and meditating on the scriptures has made the early morning my favorite time of the day. I'm especially grateful for my marriage to Bill. There have been hurts and disagreements. <laughs> Doing this pantomime has changed a very tense situation into a humorous one. You might consider trying it. <laughs> Praying together regularly has been a very big blessing to us. One day when I was having negative thoughts toward Bill, when he started praying before bedtime, my thoughts changed to respect and love. God tells us to remember the things we have done, the things he has done for us. So we celebrate our spiritual birthdays every year, remembering the blessings the Lord has given us that year and over the years. We love to share our stories with other people. We desire to honor and glorify God who is the source of our joy. I have learned this about God. He wants us to see his glory, listen to his spirit, meditate on his word, and enjoy him forever. <clears throat> the poem on the wall sums up my life well. I have seen the cross of Jesus gazed upon the crucified, and my heart is one forever. I am saved and satisfied. Earth joys now no longer charm me, for the world has lost its hold, and my heart will sing with gladness when those pearly gates unfold. Who has kept us on the narrow way that leads to life? I am grateful for the way above ordinary wife, Diane, that God has given me. Yet we have led relatively ordinary lives. Diane gave up her teaching career to be a full-time housewife, mom, volunteer. I gave up mathematical abstraction to do physical work in the real world. By and large, we have done ordinary things well. Who has made this happen? Ephesians 5 points to him, do not be drunk with wine, but 
Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Back then, the Holy Spirit swept us up into God's story as we sang in our hearts to the Lord Jesus as we lived a life of gratitude to him. We treasure the songs of praise we have learned down through the decades and are still learning. We sing at home and in the car. When our children were children, I read to them every night from the Bible and then I sang them to sleep. They went to sleep very quickly. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is your strength. St. Peter was right. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Whether your life plays out like ours, with your presuppositions, perplexities, and pain, or in some other way. Jesus will shepherd you in the years ahead, years that he sees already. Trust him with your heart and your life. Let him lead you. But remember, Jesus sees a world of hurting people, people who need love, justice, and a hundred other things. He commands us to care for them. His heart never changes. He cares for them. Jesus led us to adopt three little ones who needed us. In the process, he fulfilled and completed our lives as well. Perhaps there have been 600 people who have heard this today. Jesus has 600 ways to lead each one of you. The specific way for you fitted precisely for you. So live your life generously as a reflection of your Father in heaven. God bless you, High Point Church. You have been dear to us for a long time, two-thirds of our marriage, 33 years.